This episode of On the Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles curbside pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey everybody, Mike Griffith here, and welcome to tonight's Ingles on the Beat segment. And wow, what a dynamic draft for the Georgia Bulldogs with another 10 players selected. That ties Alabama for the most, and, and the Dogs setting a record with 25 draft picks over the last two years, which breaks the former record of 24 set by Georgia, right, in the, in the previous two drafts. So uh, a lot of reactions, I guess, going into this. I'll, I'll tell you up front, we're going to talk later in the show. Uh, I was at Kenny McIntosh's house, uh, a very emotional place, obviously, and certainly tracking the Georgia players as they win. It was good to see Jalen Carter go early. Um, I thought that was big for Jalen. You know, Drew Rosenhaus is his agent, and Drew Rosenhaus actually FaceTimed Howie Roseman, the, the Philadelphia Eagles GM, as they were walking into the draft in Kansas City. And he had the, the, the Philadelphia Eagles GM on the phone. And he said, he said, Howie, I want you to talk to Jalen. And apparently the conversation was, you know, Howie said, Jalen, how are you doing? Are you going to work for me? And Jalen said, Coach, I promise I'll work my ass off for you. And that FaceTime call led to Jalen Carter uh, being in a top 10 pick. And, you know, the rumors were, that uh, you know, someone in the Georgia program had said that Jalen didn't work hard in practice. Well, we know that that wasn't Kirby Smart. And Kirby said that at the end of last year that Jalen had to mature, but no one had a beef with Jalen Carter, certainly not Kirby, uh, certainly not Glenn Schumann, certainly not Trey Scott. But that was the, the rumor that circulated. And these, these rumors, you know, first they were talking about Jalen off the field, and then this circulated, and apparently that's what dropped him down in the draft. I'm going to bring Jim Nagy on, uh, executive director of the Senior Bowl, former uh, NFL scout with the Seahawks, the Packers, the Patriots. He's going to join us a little later in the program and and give us some more insights into the players. But uh, with Jalen going number nine and then Nolan Smith going 30 also to the Eagles, that's seven first-round picks off of that 2021 defense. And I wrote a column today. You may have seen it. I said the 2021 Georgia defense can rest its case as the best defense of the modern era. And I'd already argued that when, you know, they only gave up 6.9 points per game in the regular season, which was the lowest since 1986, Oklahoma, you know, but there was some people and, and ESPN was among them. They did a story of ranking the all-time defenses and they had Jeremy Pruitt's uh, 2016 and 2017 Alabama defenses one and two. And, you know, I think Jeremy did a great job there. Make no mistake about it. But I felt like 2021 Georgia was, was, was better you know, I, I saw that at Alabama defense in 2015 and 2016. Georgia should have, could have, would have beat that defense. Jake Fromm is a true freshman, had him beat if uh, if that safety doesn't bite on the on to his uh, fake, as we all know, uh, the infamous second and 26 play. So I, you're telling me that was a better defense than 2020? No, of course it but But that was the narrative from ESPN. So why write a story like this? Because I want to put the numbers out there. Because I want to change correct this false narrative that and Georgia's not been getting its credit and there's a lot of people that are lazy and take the low-hanging fruit and they just want to talk about Alabama this and Nick Saban that well look folks the facts are shifting right in front of your eyes Georgia has won the last two national titles and Kirby's defenses have been remarkable in fact as a part of this column and you can go to uh, dognation.com and read this for yourself Georgia has ranked higher than Alabama in total defense each of the last 
five years. Uh, 2022, Georgia number nine, Alabama number 12. 2021, Georgia number two, Bama number seven. Uh, 2020, Georgia number 12, Bama 32. 2019, Georgia number three, Alabama number 20. And 2018, Georgia number 13, Bama number 16. So when ESPN did that story last year saying well, that the, the 2021 defense was 17th all time, I was like, what, what are you talking about? Well, now here we are in, in, in this story, and I can't read through them all, but you will see where all the players off of those Alabama teams were picked versus the Georgia players and where they were picked. And there's a comparison round by round, and you can see for yourself that the Georgia players were picked higher across the board then Alabama, you know, Nick Saban still hasn't had a defensive player pick number one overall. Bryce Young, in fact, was the first ever player that Nick Saban had that was picked number one. Bryce Young, who, by the way, got my Heisman Trophy vote each of the last two years. I do believe he was the best player in college football. And I, I did the, the Paul Feinbaum show earlier today on the SEC Network. And I said to Feinbaum, I said, look, Alabama had the same number of picks that Georgia did, 10. And they had the best player in college football the last two years. And they got nothing to show for it. That's more, that's more evidence to me that Kirby Smart is doing a better job than Nick Saban. And, and, and Feinbaum said, you know, yeah. You know, I said, you, you would think you would at least win your division with that. And we kind of parted saying, you know, well, what do you think of Alabama this year? They went to Notre Dame to get a, a, a quarterback out of the portal. I said, it's a Hail Mary. At this stage of the game, getting a quarterback, it's a Hail Mary. I said, so I said, yeah, you know, Alabama could win the West, but that's about the strongest thing I'd say is that they could win the West. I think we've got to all tip our cap to Brian Kelly and, and the job that he did. Nobody saw this coming and nobody liked him. He, his Southern accent didn't sound right. And, and it didn't, it really didn't sound right when he tried too hard, but you, you get past that. And this guy did an incredible job winning the West division uh, at LSU in year one. And, and and also, you know, I also said I, I didn't think Josh Heupel would flip the Alabama-Tennessee rivalry in two years. I think Alabama, um, I think I think it's red alert for Alabama. And meanwhile, at Georgia, you know, the three-peat's not a given. Um, when we talk with Jim, we're going to go over some players. There's going to be a lot of dogs drafted next year, too. You, you might even see more of them uh, at the Senior Bowl. I haven't looked closely at the roster. I should probably do that. Uh, you know, with all the new guys that are coming in, all the freshmen, I mean, this team is just so incredibly talented. Uh, there's still questions, though, and, and it's got to play out. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I wanted to say this, too. Stetson Bennett going in the fourth round, man, couldn't have been a better team. And, and I'm calling the shot. I'm calling my shot right here on this program. Stetson Bennett is going to be a star, a movie star. I am calling the shot. I don't know what he's going to do on the field. I'm not going to sell him short. He's number two. He's in great position to get on the field. But Stetson Bennett and Hollywood are a match made in heaven. Think about this. Think about those NIL commercials he shot as the milkman and as the mailman and how much he enjoyed that. Because I was thinking to myself, what's Stetson Bennett going to do when football's over? I don't think he's going to coach. I don't think he'd like those long hours. He doesn't have his degree yet, so I don't have a whole lot of confidence he's going to be sitting behind a desk like Eric Zier, controlling millions of dollars for, for other people or, or helping people find mortgages or, or homes like that. I don't see that. But a movie star? I see it. Can you see Stetson Bennett? He can play himself in the movie, and he'll do remarkable. Because Stetson, when he 
tries to say the right things, but he's kind of awkward. But you give him a role, he's unbelievable. So Hollywood came calling. Folks, trust me on this. Stetson Bennett is going to be on the big screen. I can see it. The vision's there. Stetson, if somebody shows you this crazy clip, you know I'm right. You know you'll enjoy being an actor. All the money, the West Coast, the sunglasses. Kenny McIntosh, I was at his house. He said, Stetson's going to be surfing too. I said, man, are you serious? He said, yeah, he's going to be surfing. It's going to happen. You know, just when you thought that the Stetson Bennett story could come to an end, a whole new chapter opens up. And we're going to continue to see it play out one day on the big screen. I'm confident of that. So I'm, I'm excited about that for Stetson. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun watching the Philadelphia Eagles with all these players. Uh, it's going to be fun watching the Pittsburgh Steelers. Congrats to them. Uh, Broderick Jones and Darnell Washington. Boy, they got two really special guys. You know what? Let me go ahead and take my halftime break. Um, I want to recognize our sponsor, Ingles. They bring us to you every Monday night. And sometime after we get back, Nagy's going to join us. Known Jim for years. He's an incredible evaluator of talent. And uh, we're going to get into all that good stuff here in just a few minutes. But right now, I want to recognize our sponsor, Ingles. Did you know that Ingles sells more organics than any other store? Or that they run their own dairy? Or that they only serve USDA choice and prime meat? Did you know that they have more local craft beer than any place else? Or that they have energy smart stores? Or that they professionally slice and package imported cheese from Europe? Did you know about their giant international aisle, local farm partnerships, curbside pickup, wine department? Or that they donate 3,956 meals a day to local food banks? Well, now you do. It's all in the bag. Ingles, low prices, love the savings. Welcome back. Jim's going to join us in just a few moments. And uh, the Kenny McIntosh, uh, I want to tell you a little bit about that. So I went to his house Friday and Saturday, and uh, Kenny's brothers were there. RJ, who played at Miami and then later in the NFL. Brother Dion, who played at Notre Dame and Washington State, who's headed up to Ottawa of the CFL. And, and the family they had more than 50 family members. They rented an 8,000-square-foot villa. And uh, just a, a lot of love and happiness all around me. And you really got to see why Kenny is such a nice, polite young man when you met all of his relatives and and just saw all the love in that house. But I got to tell you, as, as Saturday wore on and we got past the fifth round, things started to tense up. I mean, this wasn't supposed to happen. And I know Kenny ran a 4-6-2-40 and his combine wasn't good, but we all saw what he did with the ball in his hands. And I'll give Kenny credit. He kept a stiff upper lip. And he kept a really positive disposition and uh, and stayed positive and happy. And he's still holding the babies in his family and sitting next to his mom and dealing with his brothers. The kitchen conversation had started about midway through the seventh round with Robert Bailey, the two-time Super Bowl champion with the Cowboys who worked for Drew Rosenhaus, uh, Kenny's agent. And Philadelphia and Dallas were bidding against each other in free agency the Cowboys offered $150,000. The Eagles offered $200,000 and a $20,000 signing bonus. And for a minute there, it looked like Kenny might go to Philadelphia. And then a shot out of the blue, the Seattle Seahawks, Pete Carroll. This guy's brilliant. Uh, one of the most uh, charismatic coaches I've ever been around. And the Seahawks picked off Kenny with the 237th pick. I got to tell you, 37 in the number, right? So I covered Alabama, and another running back that I got to know really, really well early in my career was Sean Alexander. And Sean wore the number 37 and played in Seattle. So I called Sean and I said, hey, Sean, man, this 37, 237, this was meant to be. 
Kenny McIntosh, another guy I know well, I said, hey, give him a holler. Welcome him to Seattle because I don't think Kenny knows anything about Seattle. And Sean's like, yeah, man, I'll take care of that. He said, hey, Mike, he said, you tell Kenny and his family one thing they're really going to love about Pete Carroll, he does not care where you were drafted. Pete just wants to score touchdowns. So when Kenny goes in to that Seattle Seahawks locker room, he's going to have just as good of a chance of carrying the ball as anybody in there because Pete Carroll does not worry about the draft picks. And now I'm going to bring my guest on and what a perfect guest to have on tonight. Somebody that can speak to that point. Excellent transition. Jim Neg, you worked for Pete Carroll and I was just telling the audience, you know, what a brilliant guy Pete is and, and what Sean Alexander told me that Pete doesn't care where they go in the draft. Give us more background. You worked with the Seattle Seahawks as an NFL scout before you became the executive director. So welcome to the program, and let's dive ahead first into Kenny McIntosh and the Seahawks. All right, we're getting right after it. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think you're right. I think there's no better evidence of like Pete playing whoever he wants to play than the Russell Wilson thing. Yeah. You know, you go back to Russ's year, they, they paid uh, Matt Flynn a ton of money in free agency, and uh, they drafted this rookie quarterback from Wisconsin, and um, he outplayed him in the preseason and they went with the young guys. So, uh, it doesn't really matter. Um, and, and, uh, Sean's right, man, his identity, he always wants to run the football, um, always wants to run the football. And, uh, now they've got three really good young guys. Um, and we can talk about the pick and how it became about, but, uh, no, I'm Kenny ended up there. I'm glad Kenny ended up there. I know that, uh, Kenny and I actually spoke today. He gave me a call and, uh, I know he probably waited around a little longer than he, than he'd hoped, but, uh, like I told him, it's not where you start; it's where you finish. And uh, and really, what what makes and breaks NFL careers is where they where guys end up, and kind of the right the right system fit, the right culture fit. And uh, I think he's gonna it's gonna fit in well in Seattle, just based off my five years there. Yeah, I'll tell you. And, and Jim is a very modest guy, but I need to share something with you here. One of the really cool things about the Senior Bowl. And we, we talk it up. And some people that don't really understand the game always go, well, that, well, that's just an all-star game. What are you talking? I said, no, no, no. This is a lot more. This is a culture. And when we talk about the NFL draft process, obviously there's plenty of tape from the season. But when the players get to go in person, it's almost like an on-the-job interview. It's very different. The coaches get to see how fast these guys absorb information. They see how they handle coaching. They see how they move from drill to drill. You can imagine how in-depth it is. But beyond that, you make connections. Those coaches that are coaching you, maybe their team doesn't draft you, but maybe they liked you. And maybe down the road, you know, you work with this coach and now you've got an in. And in the case of Jim, you've got a guy that advocates for these senior bowl players. And, and I know, I, I talked with Jim earlier in the day, uh, Saturday, and I said, Jim, things are getting kind of tense around here. What's going on? And, and, and Jim, I'll let you explain, but I know Jim picked up the phone and and made a difference for Kenny McIntosh. But as far as Kenny's draft stock and all that, Jim, and, and your role and what you do for the Senior Bowl players, I'll let you speak to that. Well, yeah, Mike. I mean, I think uh, it's just like anything else. This is a really small window of time where these teams really get to know the players, right? They've, they've been through Athens numerous times. I mean, especially a school like Georgia. I mean, you're an area scout will have been through Athens at least three times in the fall, you know, probably – August, late September, and again in November. Um, but but all they do on those visits is hear about players, right? Um, so like the Senior Bowl is really the first time where they can actually meet them, and uh, it's just so much more impactful when you when you sit down across from a player yourself and and really make that personal connection. It's great, and Kirby does a great job there with his staff, and they 
they're really open about their players and the NFL gets the information they need to get. Um, but there's just something about it. And so when you've got this compressed window of, you know, late January, early February, just through the end of April, I mean, it's a small time to really get to know these guys. And like, I, again, I'm not banging the scouting community cause that's, that's me. Those are my guys. I was a scout, but um, you know, these, these GMs are all human beings and these head coaches are too. And, it, it, it matters more to those guys. It's one thing for me to come in a draft room and start pounding the table for Kenny McIntosh rather than, than if a GM actually, you know, there's a personal investment when these, these decision makers meet these players, right? Uh, it's just, it's, I mean, that's how we're all wired, right? I mean, it's, it's one thing, if, Mike, if you told me about something, I feel a little stronger about it if I, if I experience it myself. So um, that's what the players have to understand. You know, there's scouts going through Athens all the time, uh, but most GMs certainly aren't. You know, no head coaches are. Um, so why wouldn't you get a jump start on the process? But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not taking any credit for the Seattle draft pick of Kenny McIntosh at all. But I did start picking up the phone um, and reaching out to teams, you know, in that sixth round area where it just it, it didn't make sense anymore to me that Kenny was still hanging around. I mean, a lot of guys are hurt by what happens in the spring. And, and let's face it, Kenny didn't have a great spring. The combine and the pro day workout weren't great. Um and, but you just, you got to go back to the tape and, and that's all the combine is for is to like, you see something maybe that, it, you know, unexpected that surprises you in a test number and you go back to the tape. Now, did I miss it? Did I see it wrong? Did, you know, what, what's going on here? And I did that. I did that after the combine just to recheck my eyes on, on Kenny and man, you put on the tape in the sec. I mean, he's one of the most explosive players on the field. So I, I don't care. He ran in the low four sixes or mid four sixes, whatever he did. Um, what matters most is what, how does that carry into a football field? Um, so, you know, I, I think the league really whiffed. Um, I don't think there was anything injury wise. There was certainly nothing character wise. Um, Kenny had a great week in mobile that way. He was great with our fans. He was great with the teams. Um, he got to introduce Nelly at the concert. That was kind of cool. Get him up on stage. Um, no. So, you know, I, it's just, it's one of those things. And I told when I did talk to John Schneider, excuse me, the, the GM in Seattle, who's a very good friend of mine. So I'll, put that out there. Um, it's like talking friend to friend. I'm not pitching him to some stranger. Um, you know, I just said, I said, John, you know, when you talk about the senior bowl process, we had Kenny was our top graded running back ahead of Zach Charbonnet from UCLA, who they took in the second round. <laughs> now, you know, Zach had a better spring, um, but we had Kenny graded higher. And, and again, I said, I said, John, now, now that was pre combine, but just based off the tape and not that we're always right. I mean, we can be wrong too. But there's certainly not that big of a discrepancy. So, um, you know, the guy should be off the board by now. It, do it doesn't really make any sense with the versatility and and everything. And and you know, it's great they it's great they picked him. And he's going to a place where I think he's going to fit the culture. And and again, they're going to want to run it. So now they've got three really talented young guys in their first and second year between Ken Walker, who got a ton of votes for Rookie of the Year last year for Michigan State, and and Zach Charbonnet is a good player. And now Kenny McIntosh. Yeah, and DJ Dallas is there, and DJ is the guy who actually hosted Kenny on his visit to Miami, so there's some familiarity. DJ Dallas played with Kenny's older brother, RJ, and you're right. I mean, Kenny's a different guy with 20, pad, 20 pounds of pads on and the football in his hands, and come to find yep. out, Jim, his high school, University High School, did not have a track program. And, and yeah, I know these guys trained for the 40, but you, it, you're, you're trying to cram in something that's just not natural for, you know, Kenny's best for cutbacks and bursts to the line and 
you know, I think this is one occasion, but I, I've heard, and you're a scout, you've been in the war room. I've heard that sometimes when a high profile guy like Kenny gets passed on by a few teams, other teams start to think, man, did we miss something? Is there something about this guy? We don't know because, you know, he's like you said, I mean, it was like six round. You're going, no, wait a minute. Who's this guy from, you know, central Michigan, like these running backs I've never heard of. They're so anonymous. Um, but Hey, the, the Kenny story ended well. Um, he's been welcomed to Seattle by a legend, uh, Sean Alexander. He's playing for a legendary coach. It's a tremendous NFL culture. It's a very community-oriented team, as as you know. And Kenny's personality will serve him well. I think he'll be. Uh, it'll be interesting for him to experience Seattle after living in <laughs> South uh, Florida. His his uncle was explaining to him just how far that plane ride was at the end of the night. And he's going. He goes, so does that mean nobody's coming to see me, man? And they're like, well. It's, it's like going to Europe, man. I mean, it is. <laughs> I used to have to do it to Atlanta. I used to have to fly from uh, Seattle to Atlanta and then connect Atlanta to Mobile. And it, it, it's a full day of travel, man. You get up, you get on a 6 a.m. flight in Seattle. You're not getting, uh, you're not getting to the East Coast till three or four o'clock. But um, no, the last thing, the last thing I'd say on Kenny is, you know, we learned a, a valuable lesson um, bringing it even, but this is like a bulldog story too. Um, the year uh, Nick and Sony came out, um, we had some, we had a lot of love in the draft room for both those guys. Right. Um, and Sony's thing was injury, um, an injury thing, medical red flag kind of knocked him down the board quite a bit um, for us. And then, you know, Nick's thing was the 40 yard dash in uh, I forget what he ran, but it was four sixes. It was something enough where, you know, some people on the staff were, were concerned about it. Um, and there was a, there, there was there was a couple guys that were really leading the uh, Nick Chubb charge in the building, um, and one of them did a really comprehensive study on all the all the running backs over the last like 25, 30 years that ran four six or slower. And I'm telling you, Mike, it was like a who's who of the Pro Bowl. Like wow. it was one Pro Bowler after another. So like I always tell young scouts that we have at the Senior Bowl, like to me the most overrated thing for a running back is top end speed. Um, it's all about short bursts. You got to get through the hole. I mean, very few running backs at that level will run away from people, like truly run away. Um, I can think of like two, Chris Johnson, who we're putting in the Senior Bowl Hall of Fame this year, and, and Jamal Charles, who was a running back I was with with the Kansas City Chiefs for four years. So um, those guys were true, like breakaway home run guys. There are not many of those. So it's it's more about the short, bur explosive bursts than that long speed. And and, uh, you know, we lost that battle that year in Seattle. Um, and we ended up, I think we took Rashad Penny um, from San Diego State that year. But um, but so, again, I, I think that uh, in whatever he ran in the four sixes, teams are going to teams are going to look back a few years from now and and really regret passing on Kenny. Yeah, I heard you say he was the the best value pick of the NFL draft. And, you know, coming from you, Jim, that's in, that's incredible, incredible praise. So I guess I got to ask you about the Philadelphia story. Uh you know, Howie Roseman uh, lo loves them dogs. I mean, you know, now obviously last year he took Jordan Davis and Kobe Dean, and I was talking to Howie this year at the Combine, and I said, you know, you got two of the best, man. I said, Jordan Davis and Kobe Dean. He goes, let me tell you, I said, they, they, these guys left some big shoes to fill. And he goes, he goes, yeah, I saw they really struggled without them this year. And I said, well, I'm, no. I said, yes, I know. They, they went 15-0, and 0, but trust me, you got two of the best. Well, obviously, and he went on to, to rave about the Georgia players. And I did a story about how he's saying that Kirby develops the right kind of guys. And then the next day, the Jalen Carter news broke. And I said, boy, I wonder if he regret. Well, not only did he not regret saying it, he picks Jalen. And Jalen, to me, and it, 
and you're the expert, but my goodness, I don't know that I've ever seen a tackle with that's this dominant. And he slipped to number nine. And I know the off field stuff. How do teams measure that, Jim? When they're sitting there debating a guy and his character and, you know, what's what's that conversation like? And, and how, when does push come to shove? Well, it's it's hard for me to answer, Mike, because I'm not I'm not privy to everything the teams were, um, you know, and he wasn't a senior ball guy. I kind of stayed out of that. I mean, right. I mean, it's just different. There's a lot of different, quote unquote, character red flags, right? Like there could be personal stuff, which I do know about. Obviously, everyone knows about the tragedy in Athens and, and his role in that, uh, which is truly unfortunate. And then there's the football side of things. And that's the the work ethic and the passion for football. And to me, that supersedes the personal stuff. Like, right. I think you can you can overcome some some off the field stuff, um, you know, and become a really good NFL player if, if you love football and you're wired right and, and you put and you put the work in. Um, to me, you, you bust on players that don't love football um, yeah. again because you get more time and you get more money at the next level. Like all those all those laziness issues, whatever it might be, like that stuff's exasperated. So I don't know the particulars there. I just do know. Like I was worried if Seattle took him, like I just didn't know if being that far away and and uh, if that was the right place. And again, they nailed the draft last year. I mean, I think it's widely known that Seattle probably had the best best draft last year, and and they were unwavering um, when it comes to like they they took the guys they say they that that are Seahawks, like guys that really truly fit. And when I was there, like we made some exceptions, we took some shots, we rolled some dice, um, and it never worked out. And so I credit them. They stuck to their guns this year. It's probably tough. They had a real need on the interior defensive line. They could have easily just addressed it with Jalen. Um, I credit them for, for not doing that. But at the same time, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. I think I credit Howie for taking the shot he took because, um, you know, just speaking to some people in Athens, and you could probably confirm or deny this, but I've heard that, you know, uh, N'Kobe Dean and, and – uh, Jordan Davis were two guys that that Jalen Carter looked up to That's and was close to. So um, if if anyone's going to help pull him along, and it sounds like he's going to need a little bit of that, um, it's those two guys. And then Nolan Smith. And again, you know much better than I do, but but I got to meet Nolan at the SEC Media Days this year, and um, knowing the people in the building there, like he's a totally squared away guy and mature, and comes across like an adult when you meet him. Um, so now he's got three guys. Uh, I don't know Ringo at all, but like that's at least three guys that can help Jalen Carter with the transition to a bigger city and a different city and uh, just becoming a pro. So man, if, if you're the Eagles and you got a chance to hit on this guy that, that talent wise should have been the first, second, third pick in the draft and you got a chance to get him later. Um, I think it was a good swing by Howie. We'll see. No doubt. And you nailed it, Jim. Jalen's going to be around the leaders that, that, that guided him at Georgia guys that he trusts guys that can, you know, give him the yellow light and say, yo, whoa, this, this is the pros we don't. And and I think Jalen has learned a lesson as well in terms of the accountability, like you said, very unfortunate tragedy, but I think that shook him up. I think that affected his preparation for the pro day. Kirby hinted at that. Kirby talks a lot between the lines. If you, if you have some, you know, premonition of, of what the circumstances are, you can kind of read Kirby. I think it shook Jalen up and certainly dropping to number nine, um, was a wake-up call for Jalen. And now he does have his brothers waiting for him in Philadelphia. And I, I said, you know, a month ago, if the Eagles get Jalen Carter, hand him the Super Bowl. And obviously it's a long season and there can be injuries. But right now that team looks 
looks unbelievable to me. Um, speaking of guys that I think went to the perfect place, and Jim, before you came on, this is going to sound like one of the most wild analysis you've ever heard on Stetson Bennett. I said he's going to be a star, but he's going to be a movie star. Forget the football career. Hollywood is going to eat this guy up. Somebody's got to play the role of him. Why not him? He sure ain't going back to Blackshear to be a farmer or coach football. He's got to go somewhere. He doesn't have a degree. He's not going to be working in a in a marketing office, you know, handling million dollar accounts and and selling money. He's not going to be coaching because he's not going to like those hours. Hollywood and Stetson Bennett are the perfect match. Now, for the football part, I'll leave that up to you. Speaking of mentors and leadership, and one of the concerns with Stetson. Could he be happy being the number two? I got to think Matt Stafford's one guy that even Stetson Bennett can say, okay, I'm the backup for now. Your thoughts on Stetson to the Rams? Yeah, I mean, it seems it seems like a good fit in terms, you know, if, if things going to click with just having the Georgia connection, you would hope there is a respect factor there between, between Stetson and Matthew. I mean, Matthew's easily the most talented Georgia quarterback ever, right? Unless I'm missing somebody. Um, yeah, right. Uh, so, so yeah, you would, you'd hope that relationship was good. I don't know. I mean, that, you know, I, w- I would think maybe that, um, and just totally, totally uh, spitballing on this. I don't know anything about this, but you know, maybe Sean McVay and, or, and uh, Les Snead, their GM reached out to Matthew to get his take before drafting him. Um, and maybe, you know, and if that's the case, then Matthew gave him, you know, an assurance that, that he'd be there to help him out. So, um, yeah, it seems like a good fit, and they need a backup quarterback. I mean, he could be the talent-wise, he could be the number two next year, not the number three. So um, it, it all worked out as good as it possibly could for Stetson. It, it really did. It, it just optimal situation uh, for him. And, yeah, Stafford said, yeah, I look pretty good in the championship game. Let's take him. I mean, obviously <laughs> there's got to be more that went into it. McVay said, well, he's had these long conversations, had his eye on him a long time. Um, all right. Well, let's, well, it'll be really interesting to see now some senior bowl guys, you know, one of my favorite stories uh, of the senior bowl and really one of my favorite stories of my career. Uh, you came along on your white horse for Warren McClendon. Uh, you know, Warren, it was a late senior bowl edition. He was in the tragic accident. Jim, you know, hit the brick wall at 84 miles an hour in the front seat of an SUV. And less than two weeks later, He's on a senior bowl practice field taking reps. That's one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen in my life. And you extended the invitation uh, to him. I, I think the same time as you invited Stetson. Stetson obviously decided to stay in Dallas and Warren took the invitation, kind of ran with it. What did you see in Warren that made you give him that invitation? And, and how much did you know he could do when you invited him to be at your game around all those NFL personnel? Yeah. I mean, the only reason he had the late invite is because he had, they had to finish up the season. He had to declare because he was a junior. Right. Um, okay. You know, so we can't we can't invite those guys until they actually declare. And he wasn't going to declare until they were done playing. So that's I mean, he would have had it. He would have been, you know, invited much earlier had he had he uh, been a normal circumstance. So, uh, no, I mean, three year starter at Georgia on the offensive line. Um, you know, last year we had really good success with Salyer and Schaefer and um, Salyer played great for the Chargers last year. But, you know, I think I think it showed a lot of character. Um, on Warren's part, you know, uh, I'll say this: I was on the, uh, I was on the, uh, oh gosh, what Paul Feinbaum show during Senior yeah. Bowl week, yeah. yeah, and I got a little ambush, right? Like Paul had me <laughs> on the show, and the first question he asked about Hendon Hooker, who wasn't even practicing during that week, he was hurt, and then the next six questions are about Stetson Bennett, uh, and I was like, 
I was like, you know, Paul, like I'm not, I'm not judging Stetson. He went through a lot. Like that was a really tough deal in, in Athens. It, and he goes, and, and he goes, well, were there other Georgia players in the game? And I'm like, yeah, you know, Kenny McIntosh was there and Warren McLennan. Well, how come they're there? Well, they, you know, Stetson doesn't have an excuse then. Um, <laughs> but, and he goes, he goes, and McClendon was even in the accident. So what's Stetson's excuse? So um, anyway, it, it, it uh, yeah, it showed an incredible amount of, of uh, just everything. I mean, mental toughness, courage, um, just to just to get in a headspace where you could come down and compete. This is an intense week, man. I mean, you've been down here, you've been around it. I mean, this is a a week long interview. Like you can never really turn it off because you're always in front of somebody that's judging you. And uh, it's, so it's an intense environment. We, I mean, we credentialed over 1,100 media people this year, so it was freaking zoo after practice. And, uh, you know, we shielded him from all that. We kept him out of media day and whatnot. And, and one day we opened up the field and a media scrum kind of went right to him. And unfortunately, we weren't right there to cut it off. We got there right after a couple of really insensitive questions were asked. Um, well, now, let, but, me, let me give you some background on that. So here's what happened, because I don't know that Molly or you ever got the story. DJ Shockley was there uh, and DJ's a former dog, as you know. And yep. DJ and Zach Klein went to Warren and said, do you want to talk? Do you want to do this? And Warren said yes. And when they asked him about the accident, he basically said he, he he couldn't remember. And I later talked to Jack Podlesny, the kicker. Warren wanted to do that and get that out of the way because he knew he was going to be asked that by all the NFL teams. And he knew that at some point he was going to answer those questions. So just background for you. Uh, DJ and Zach Klein did talk to Warren before the cameras went on and asked him if he wanted to do it. Warren did want to, as you saw, headlong into the week, wanted to play football, wanted to address that issue, get out of the way. Now, that was the last time he talked about it at the Combine. So just some background. There no, was, that's good. There and was I, didn't a, even, I didn't even know. I didn't know it was Shockley. I, I didn't know who it was. You know, I wasn't I wasn't down on the field at that yeah, point. But uh, yeah. No, that's good background. No, so Warren, you know, I think he's, uh, I think he's got the ability to play both tackle spots. You know, bring him in. I think he's more of a right tackle, which he played there. Yeah. Um, I think that's his that's his best spot at the next level, and and uh, I, he's probably a guy that, that's being projected as a swing backup. Um, but the guy's played a ton of football, and he's obviously you know tough and competitive, and um, football matters to him. So those guys usually end up on on the offensive line. Those guys usually end up being better than you think they'll be um, kind of overachieving where you draft them. So it wouldn't surprise me one bit if, if Warren's the starting right tackle. Yeah. Military family background, tough kid. I'm sure that the NFL teams do their research. They know all those same things that, that, that I do. Certainly Chris Smith was a guy that Jim, I was concerned with Chris because uh, a little undersized for safety, not, not a lot, not like he's tiny, but you know, 5'10", 5'11", 190. They usually like him about 10 pounds heavier, an inch or two taller. Such a playmaker, and it was so great to see him in the Senior Bowl. Really flashed early. You you played him at some different positions, gave him some different looks there. What about Chris Smith going to the uh, Las Vegas Raiders? I still have a hard time saying that in the fifth round. I do, too. I do, too. Um, again, I think tremendous value there. Um, you know, we knew te we knew Chris wouldn't be a great tester, Um but just a really good football player as everyone that, that, that uh, follows the dogs know, you know, he was a guy that was uh, senior bowl eligible a year ago. Um, and we didn't invite him. He kind of fell below the cut line for us that year. And, 
And he came back this year, and not only did he look uh, – we always liked the football player. We always liked the instincts. And, and uh, you know, he talked to guys in the staff. They talk about the communicator and um, just the makeup, the leader, a guy that kind of ties in the back end. Um, but this year you put in the tape, and he looked like he had more burst. He looked quicker. Um, he was making more range plays than he'd made in the past. And in the past, I felt like Chris was one of those guys that was really smart and cerebral and, like, put himself in the right position to make plays. And this year, I felt like he went and made, he went and got it more, like went and made more plays. So, um, so we felt good. I loved him. Like he and Jamie Robinson um, is the guy that went to Florida State, where were two guys that went on day three. That if I were a GM, I would have been jumping all over both those guys because they both love football. Um, really heady. Uh, Chris is. Uh, I had this talk with a couple GMs leading up to the to the draft. Is like, I don't care where you draft Chris. Like I thought he might go because of the testing and the size, like fifth roundish. I'm like. Look around the league right now. Look how many guys like Chris Smith are starting at safety. Like all these big, good-looking, height, weight, speed safeties. I mean, so many of those guys underachieve because they're not instinctive enough. They're just kind of pretty to look at, and they end up being special teams players. And like Chris is the opposite, right? No so, um, yeah. great, great pick, great pick by the Raiders. I, I, I thought that I thought they nailed that one. Yeah, he's a football player. You know, he's like Kenny. Neither one of those guys ran well. They ran both ran four six two, but you see him on the field. And you know, without Chris, I'll, I'll say this: without Chris Smith, without Kenny McIntosh, I, I don't know that you win one national title, much less two. Chris has picked six in Clemson. Watched the season, gave Georgia the mulligan, so they were getting they were able to get the second chance against Alabama. And and McIntosh just took over games. And and look, it's no secret, you know, the Georgia fans love Stetson, but there were games he did not look good at all and could not throw the ball. And they needed Kenny McIntosh and Kirby Smart at the, the championship ceremony. He only cited two players. He said they had two distinct memories, and one of them was Kenny McIntosh taking over at Missouri when the, when the pass game was flustered and running over people and, and fourth and two, game on the line. Munkin's got to make a call. Who does he go to? He's got a lot of options there. He's got Brock Bowers. He's got Stepson on the run. Uh, you know, he's, he's got uh, Marcus. He hands it to Kenny McIntosh with the season on the line. Tells you everything, who they go to. And then Jalen Carter taking over the Tennessee game. Those were the two memories that Kirby Smart cited. And, and, and again, Kirby gives you the answers if you listen closely to those <laughs> two key players. Uh, Jim, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk quarterbacks with you because it was a popular topic of discussion uh, I know that the senior bowl, uh, I think was a Jake Hayner was one of the guys that went uh, pretty early from Fresno. He was down there, but, but let me back it up. And, and even though you didn't scout him for the senior bowl or, or maybe you did, or you knew you couldn't get him, Bryce young at number one, your thoughts about Bryce's size and uh, what we might see out of him. And then I guess, you know, right into CJ Stroud and, and uh, Anthony Richardson. Um, again, I know you didn't scout these guys deeply for the senior bowl, but you, you've been around long enough to have a pretty good idea and some thoughts on it, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I've seen most of these guys quite a bit, like not just in games and um, tape, but I've seen them in, at camps like the Manning camp. And Steve Clarkson does a camp out in Santa Monica every Memorial Day. I, I saw CJ and, and Bryce there three years ago for the first time. Um, so with Bryce, man, it reminds me of when Russell Wilson came out and I was working for the Chiefs and, and our, our college director asked everyone that graded Russell that year, like, what don't we like? He asked the question, posed the question, what don't we like about this? Other than this guy's size, what don't we like? And the room was silent. Like, we, there was really nothing not to like about Russell Wilson other than the fact that he was a hair under 5'11". Um, and it's it's the same thing with Bryce. So um, there's no getting around the fact that he's he's a small guy. He's not just short. Like, he's he's a smaller he's a smaller guy. Like, Russell was at least thick. He was built like a running back. Um 
but other than that, man, there's, there, there's, there's no, I mean, unless you're really trying to be nitpicky and poke holes, there's, there's not a lot there in the quarterback skill set uh, or how he's wired that, that, that gives you pause. And um, so there's a roll of the dice with the size. There's no two ways around it. You know what I mean? You're rolling the dice a little bit that, that the guy can withstand a 17 game schedule and a more violent football league. So um, I get it. It's the SEC, but I promise you, if you, go to an SEC game on a Saturday in a Falcons game the next day. I mean, it's, it's a different level now. And, um, and so that's the roll of the dice. If you're the Carolina Panthers, you need a quarterback. I thought he was the best one. Um, so we'll see. And then uh, CJ, I, I probably did the least amount of work on, um, you know, really natural thrower of the football that the first time I saw him at that camp, it was just beautiful. The ball comes off his hands so clean. Um, Ohio state's been hard to judge quarterbacks. I mean, that system, Ryan day does a great job. Um, they've got an incredible offensive line. I mean, this year's offensive line, four, four of the five starters got drafted. Um, I mean, so he's sitting back there. He's always in a clean pocket. They're huge window throws. He's throwing to Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Smith and Jigba, Marvin Mittens Jr. I mean, it's just – it's ridiculous. Like, so it's hard. It's hard. Like, how good is this guy? But um, he's got a lot – I mean, he, he can really throw it. Um, he, he played really – that Georgia game at the end of the year helped with the projection. And then, uh, you know, Anthony Richardson's interesting. It's different in this job now. Uh, when I was in the league, I didn't have social media. I didn't pay attention to anything on the outside. Like scouts refer to it as noise. I didn't, I, you know, you block out all the noise, you make the email yourself. And then once you feel comfortable in your evaluation, then yeah, if you want to, you know, click around on social media or something, you know, see what everyone else has to say. That's one thing. But um you know, with this job, I'm, I have, I like live on social media. So it's hard. Like there's just constant noise and I live in the noise. So, you know, I, I'd heard all this stuff um, and I'd heard how raw he is and all this stuff. And then I, I actually sat down and watched the tape and yeah, there's, I mean, there's obviously a lack of polish and lack of development. He's played 13 games, but he's not as far off as I thought people were making him out to be. Um, he's got rare ability. And I, and I said that last summer, um, he was at the Manning camp with Will Levis and those two were head and shoulders above everyone else there physically from a physical tool standpoint, it wasn't close. And Bryce was there. Um, but like arm strength, just size, uh, presence. I mean, those guys are, were, were different. Um, and then I saw him throw last spring. I was in Gainesville. Uh, Billy Napier brought me down to speak to the team about the draft process. And I stuck around there for a couple of days and, and watched practice and, and my God, I mean, this dude is, he's different now. I don't, I don't love the Cam Newton comparisons. Um, after watching him like body type, yes, because he's such a, a big looking athlete. We haven't seen one of those. Um, but Cam was dynamic with the ball in his hands. Like Cam was a playmaker with the ball in his hands. He could make you miss. He was elusive. Whereas this guy's different. He's a chain mover. Like he's so big, it's hard to get him on the ground. So he's going to get a bunch of tough yards and then he's going to pop one. Then he's going to go 80. Uh, but there's not a lot of wiggle. There's not a lot of make you miss. I mean, this guy's going to try to run through you. And if you're lucky enough to get him down, then you're, you're saving an 80 yard touchdown. So um, yeah, really high end talent. I, I liked the pick by Indianapolis. I really did. I mean, if you're Chris Ballard, their GM, you've, you've recycled a bunch of veteran quarterbacks now the last three or four years. Um, take a shot on a, a, a guy with, with really rare stuff. So we'll see. We'll see how it all plays out. Yeah, exciting players. Steve Spurrier told me uh, last year, and, and and Spurrier, you know, he'll tell tell you when things aren't good. We all know that. He said the most physically gifted 
quarterback that he'd ever seen and told Anthony that, but told him that he needed to put more time in the film room. And, and, and Anthony, a guy, I think super talented, like you said, uh, intellectual. And I think given some time, uh, I like to pick two. I know a lot of people are going, what are you talking about? He didn't win. You know, same thing with Will Levis, Jim. And maybe you can explain this. You know, Will had a tough senior year numbers wise, played at Kentucky. And people are saying, well, Stetson Bennett beat Will Levis. Why is Will Levis getting picked ahead of Stetson Bennett when Stetson beat him head to head? I mean, how does an NFL person explain and answer that question? Uh, just higher upside, you know, higher upside with the, with the fiscal stuff. And again, the NFL gets enamored with the fiscal stuff. I mean, that's, that's, you know, to their own detriment at times, you know, I mean, you, you just see a guy that looks like Will Levis and the guy can throw it through a brick wall and he's, he's big and strong. And, um, you know, at that position to me, you gotta, you gotta know how to play the position and, uh, and Stetson knows how to play it. I mean, Stetson can, can go through progressions and, make good decisions and move and, and buy a second chance. And, um, you know, like, in a, like I always say that in a nutshell, rather than like getting into deep and like, you know, running off at the mouth of what these guys do, like, can they play quarterback? You know, they can, can they do what the position asks them to do in terms of reading coverage and making adjustments and making good decisions. And um, so that's why I think like the physical stuff can be overrated at sometimes, but in a guy like Anthony Richardson, it certainly is. <laughs> it's, it's uh, intoxicating a little bit to see what to think what he could be if he gets all the mental stuff down. Oh, the ceiling's unbelievable, Jimmy. <laughs> excuse me. Before I let you go, I got a feeling we're going to be talking again next year a lot because I look at this Georgia roster and I go down the list of seniors here and and I see uh, I see Xavier Truss, I see Cedric Van Pran. Uh, maybe some of these juniors will have graduated. These redshirt juniors. I mean, who knows? Carson Beck, Kendall Milton. Uh, looking over here on defense, Nazir Stackhouse, Warren Brinson, uh, the list of Georgia guys uh, just kind of goes on and on. And obviously you've, you've built a really, really good relationship with Kirby and his staff. What just, I guess your thoughts, where are you guys at? Is is the 2024 senior bowl draft board up? And, and when do we start seeing some, some stuff on social media from you uh, on the draft, by the way, people that want to follow Jim, <clears throat> Uh, on some, on uh, social media. Gosh, I just had it called up here, isn't it? Jim Nagy underscore SB. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. that's it. You, you want to follow, believe me, you want to follow Jim. He puts a lot of video up and a lot of opinions up more, more than you would ever expect uh, from an NFL uh, personnel guy. And we all appreciate that. But uh, early thoughts on Georgia next year and where is the senior bowl in the scouting process? Yeah, we're, uh, we're there. Um, our, our young guys in the office, our scouting assistants have been on it since uh, like late December. Once we had this year's roster kind of set, there was no sense just spinning our wheels. We had, we had those guys working ahead to next year. <laughs> we're done with all the power fives. Uh, we're, we're under the group of five and in, in FCS levels now. Um, I got itchy. I usually wait until after the draft every year, but about two weeks ago, I got kind of antsy and I started watching some of next year's guys um, starting at the top of the board. Um, I haven't seen any Georgia guys yet. Um, but you know, they're going to be there. I mean, you just named off a bunch of really good players. So, uh, haven't got to him yet. I can't really comment on any of those guys. I did see the quarterback up there, even though he hasn't played it, you know, I hadn't been a starter yet, but he's already on the board with a draftable grade. So we'll, we'll see. I don't know what those guys watch to, uh, form that opinion, but we'll, we'll see on that. But, uh, no, we're excited about it. I'm, uh, you know, now that we're this week, I'm doing a lot of this stuff, like recapping the draft and doing a lot of radio and, radio shows and podcasts and whatnot, but I can't wait to like fully just like 
immerse myself in the 2024 class and, and we'll be doing that all summer. We'll be posting stuff every day. Like I usually post a couple of different players a day from now through August. I mean, it goes pretty dead on social media in terms of draft content. We try to, you know, post, post a couple of things every single day and, and uh, keep people engaged. Well, it's outstanding. Again, on Twitter, it's Jim Nagy underscore SB. And Jim, you've been very kind to me and Dog Nation over the years. I'm sure I'll see you at the SEC Media Days and I'll <laughs> I'll pull you aside like I always do. And you'll be you're trying to get somewhere. And I almost literally grabbed Jim. No, no, I gotta have you. I really <laughs> always appreciate your time. And certainly uh, you know, Dog Nation appreciates the relationship we've had with the senior bowl. It's a fantastic event. I tell everybody, you gotta put this on your bucket list. It's a great event it's not just a game the practices are outstanding as well you get to see the one-on-ones you you know you see the nfl coaches some gms in the flesh um there's activities during the week the the mardi gras parade that you added i know you had nelly uh it's just a fantastic and i was born in mobile so i'm a little biased i enjoy that week down there it's always special to me so jim i really again thank you so much for your time and and your analysis you're a real guiding light for a lot of journalists that, you know, there's a lot of guesswork and I don't want to say fake media out there, but to talk to a legitimate NFL uh, Super Bowl. And I always ask you this. I always forget. How many Super Bowls were you a part of in, in, during your NFL career? Uh, six. I was like <laughs> six in 18 years. I was pretty lucky to be around uh, some really good quarterbacks and some good head coaches. But uh, I will say this, like by, by uh, the only thing I can put on my resume that's like unique I'm the only person on the planet that lost the undefeated Patriots Super Bowl on the David Tyree helmet catch. I, I was working for the Patriots then, so I lost that one. Um, and then I was working for the Seahawks on the Malcolm Butler interception. So if those two historic, iconic plays in Super Bowl history don't happen, um, I could have been six and zero, oh, but I was I was four and two. But I lost. I lost both those games in the stadium in in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, or Glendale. And uh, my wife and I said, if, if we ever get back in the NFL and a team I'm working for is lucky enough to go to the Super Bowl, if it's played in Glendale, we're sitting our butts home. We are not going back out to that stadium. We are not going to jinx it a third time. So, Oh, man, that's outstanding. Jim Nagy, thank you. Everyone watching tonight, thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed our presentation of Ingles on the Beat. Tomorrow morning, don't forget Brandon Adams, every day, 10 a.m., Dog Nation Daily. Wednesday night, Jeff Centel. I'll be back on with Brandon on Wednesday, and there'll be all sorts of content on dognation.com. Everyone, have a great week.